Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I am your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. This podcast is presented by the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma and funded by the Oklahoma State Department of Health. For those who don't know, the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma strives to improve the lives of Oklahomans with autism across the lifespan. Before we jump in, I would just like to say that this podcast will discuss autism, suicide, mental health and wellness, among other topics, with autistic individuals and different professionals, with the goal of unmasking stereotypes, increasing awareness, advocating for mental health and wellness, and attempting to shatter the stigmas of these topics through conversation and personal experience. Welcome back to another episode of Unmasking Autism with AFO. I'm your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. I have another exciting guest for y'all today. It just so happens to be the Autism of Foundation of Oklahoma's own Workforce Development Coordinator, my co-worker, Kyle Britt. So, hey Kyle. Hi Carly. Thank I'm you so happy, much for coming. I'm happy to be here today to share some more information about our LEAD training project and uh, discuss autism and IDD and how they relate to the workforce and things we can do as a, in the workforce to um, become more inclusive, more accommodating, and uh, open up our doors to autistic and IDD job candidates. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. You know, the whole reason I thought it would be great to have you on the show is not only because of your program, but also, you know, one of the inquiries I get from people a lot is, how do I get a job? Can you help me get a job? What can I do to you know, increase my chances of being hired. And, you know, there are a lot of benefits, as you know, and we're going to talk about today for employers and companies to have a diverse workforce. Um, So do you want to just start out by telling us a little bit about what your program is and what it entails? Yeah, absolutely. So it is a two-part training module um, that is funded through a grant with the Developmental Disabilities Council of Oklahoma. And module one is what I kind of considered neurodiversity 101. It's very much an introductory lesson on understanding autism, understanding the history behind autism, as well as understanding IDD and some of the IDD history. We also cover things like common traits, characteristics, behaviors, um, certain definitions that those who may not work closely to the field um, might not be familiar with, things like masking, things like stimming. Um, We talk about the autism spectrum um, and how each individual with autism is just as unique as any individual without autism. Uh, we don't want to give employers um, the wrong idea that every autistic job candidate is going to be the same as each candidate they see. Yeah. Um, you know, we kind of go back to the, the, the famous expression of, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Mm-hmm. Module two uh, of the training is much more HR and hiring manager specific. Okay. We talk about things like our job application process, our job postings in the language we use in those the interview process and changes and accommodations we can make to that to make it more accessible and more inclusive to people with autism and IDD. Okay, cool. And so this training is really for employers, right, as opposed to autistic individuals? Right. The training is designed specifically for employers. Uh, Large, small, mid-size, it doesn't matter. We offer the training to everyone. And of course, since we are funded through the DDCO grant, the training is free for anyone who would like to participate. In Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, yes. <laughs> I just have to make that clear. Um, so, okay, yeah, so you're, you know, you're saying the first module is Neurodiversity 101. So like, do you think from having like done so many of these that when you're training a group of people, do you think you're sort of going in and 
right away uh, lifting off their vision of what they might already think autism is or do a lot of people already kind of know what it is? It depends on the employer. Um, if they're working in a field that's closely related to autism or IDD um, or if they have a personal connection to autism or IDD, they're you know, more familiar with um, some of the challenges and stuff related to autism in the workplace. But for those who do not work in the field, who have no personal connection or experience related to autism, our only understanding of what autism is is likely stuff that we've seen in television, stuff that we've seen in film. Um, we don't always have the best understanding of what autism looks like. So if we don't know what autism is, how are we going to create a workspace that is going to be inclusive of those individuals? Mm -hmm. So a big part of the training is module one, providing that education on what autism is. I like to talk about the autism history just because it provides a bit of perspective for people to see like a lot of these developments are a lot more recent than people think. Yeah. Um, and then of course we talk about common traits and characters, uh, characteristics, behaviors and those things. Um, and we make sure not to generalize so that they know every individual is still every individual. These are just some common traits, characteristics or behaviors that you might notice in the workplace. We talk about things they may not be familiar with or they may just not know the word for it. So like stimming for example or masking for example. Um, I think it's important to explain those kind of behaviors for someone who's not, you know, in the know to sort of better understand uh, their employees or potential job candidates. Um, like stimming is one, a big one. There was, um, I know, I'm trying not to do it right now. <laughs> that, um, that story in Ohio, I believe last year about the young man who was in a park stimming with yarn in front of his face and he got yeah. into an altercation with a police officer because he didn't recognize the behavior. Mm -hmm. um, so and in the workplace, you know, we talk about we don't want to discourage stimming so long as it's not harmful to the individual or overly distracting to the work environment. Mm -hmm. And if they are doing something that is harmful to themselves or to others or overly distracting in the workplace, because you know, it is a workplace, we do have you know, a job to do, yeah. we can suggest alternative forms of stimming um, rather than those kind of behaviors. Yeah, you know, and I, I think, or in, in my opinion, I think a lot of people stereotypically think of stimming as like some big, you know, like, flapping or something mm -hmm. like this. Whereas like me personally, my biggest stem is I just constantly mess with my cuticles. But you know, um, to sort of like talk about and bridge that gap between like autism and neurotypicals, you know, I think a lot of people stem, autistic or not, you know, like a lot of people jiggle their leg constantly yeah. when they're sitting or they chew their lip or something like that, you know? Yeah, and that's what I mean by, the, you know, they just might not know the name for it. Because, mm -hmm, um, exactly. you know, how many of us are, you know, I, I'm a pen guy, I'll spin my pen on my fingers, you know, when I'm, you know, that's my form of stimming. Um, so providing that education of like, you know, this is, you know, behaviors that, you know, you might see exhibited by someone on the autism spectrum and giving a name to it, you know, that they may or may not know or be familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, it does sort of help bridge that gap into better understanding our autistic coworkers or autistic employees. Um, because I think understanding plays a big part in helping develop that workplace culture because one of the benefits of hiring a neurodiverse staff is that boost to the workplace culture. Mm -hmm. um, research has shown that companies who are opening their doors to neurodiverse candidates are seeing an increase in like morale around the office. And it's just one of the, the many benefits that you can get when you take the steps to educate your staff, educate yourselves, um, make the necessary changes, look at the way that we are doing things and wondering where is the room that we can improve uh, to make the workplace more accessible and more accommodating to autistic individuals. Yeah, you know, I've read a few articles and I, I, I know you brought some notes and I've got some too, but every article I've read that talked about uh, 
becoming an inclusive workplace in terms of autism and neurodiversity, their ROI is through the roof. Like productivity goes up, sales go up, profit goes up. So for somebody who may be watching this, you know, being an employer or a boss, they're like, well, I mean, what possibly could benefit my business if I, you know, open up the door to autistic and neurodiverse candidates? Like, what are some of those things you think? Well, the trend of diversity in the workplace and specifically neurodiversity in the workplace, that's not going to slow down. I think it's only going to gain momentum moving forward. So if we're a company and we're not getting on board with neurodiversity in the workplace, I feel we're going to you know, get, find ourselves a bit left behind of where everyone else is at. Mm-hmm. We also get that access to the large talent pool of young autistic people or young people with IDD or who are wanting to enter the workforce. And they're entering the workforce with the expectation that maybe, you know, my employer is going to be um, inclusive and accommodating and accepting. And even for our neurotypical um, job candidates, the young people coming out of high school, this new generation of employees is certainly entering the workplace with the expectation that it is going to be an inclusive and accepting, accommodating type of environment. Um, There's also the benefit of job retention. Uh, Over 60% of adults with IDD uh, who are employed in a competitive setting uh, have been there for three years or more. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's expensive when we lose employees and we have to bring new people on. Yep. Um, So the added benefit of job retention is a huge one, you know, just from a cost perspective and from a cultural perspective, when we can retain employees and build that workplace culture and just keep things moving forward without having so much office turnover. Yeah, uh, one of the articles I read talked about in terms of employee employee retention, you know, autistic people, myself included in this, you know, we like structure, we like we like when something becomes a routine and we get used to something, we like it. We don't want it to change, you know, and a job is something that everybody, you know, wants to last as long as possible. But an article I was reading talked about how because of those certain traits that can, you know, pinpoint why retention with neurodiverse people is higher because they like that, you know, you're employing individuals who are, you know, likely to succeed in a structured environment and a role following environment, um, to maintain that element of professionalism as well. Um, you know, there's also the benefit of, you know, it's, um, you gain favorable public opinion when you're, you know, listed as you know an inclusive employer and just in my experience talking with um, people over the years um, both the individuals parents of individuals when they call and they want to talk about you know what type of place can I work at what place will hire me Um, what place will hire my son what place will hire my daughter Um, these job seekers they're aware of places that are not inclusive they're aware of places that don't practice inclusivity and don't provide opportunities for people with autism and you know everybody in this field kind of talks a bit and we understand um, what's a good place to work what's a bad place to work Um, but if we are a place who um, makes the effort to make the reasonable accommodation to be more inclusive you know people also talk about that and word begins to spread you know hey that's actually a great place to work i knew someone they offered them a job Um, you know they handled this simple accommodation they've been working there for two or three years now Um, Yeah. Let's go back to like the stigmas, for example, uh, for a second. So like, what do you think might be some stigmas that employers might have that are incorrect stereotypical opinions of IDD and autism? 
a lot of the stigma that's still surrounding autism and IDD, um, especially as it relates to the workplace, is centered around just not being educated enough on autism or IDD, um, what those are, what they aren't. Um, one being, you know, people with autism are going to be unreliable or they're going to um, require special attention in the workplace or they're going to need accommodations that are going to be expensive or take up a lot of time, a lot of resources. Are other people in the workplace going to feel some sort of way about these um, individuals receiving these types of accommodations? And, you know, to that, I say the benefits of neurodiversity in the workplace, one of the things, you know, that we change about being more inclusive and all of this stuff is that it's going to benefit not just your neurodiverse um, employees, but also your neurotypical employees as well. We're all going to benefit from more clear and concise language. We're all going to benefit from a more structured environment. Like these are good things for the entire workplace that just so happen to help the, the place be more inclusive for people with autism. Um, and I know I ramble. No, nope, you're but, good. Um, you know, back to the stigma. There was um, there's this idea that people with autism or the people with IDD um, can't do the things that their neurotypical peers can do mm -hmm. um, in a workplace. There are certain um, companies that you know, I've spoke to you know, who will ask, you know, if I hired them, where would I put them? It's like, I, you know, I can't tell you that. You're going to have to open up the doors and do the interview <laughs> yeah. process. Um, and I think you'd be surprised. But we still have this idea that people with autism are limited. And the career opportunities for people with autism are limitless. Um, there are certain careers like you know, the tech industry that they might be more likely to find success in, but mm -hmm. um, the career options out there, the areas in which someone with autism or IDD can succeed career-wise are absolutely not limited. And I think it's going to take employers recognizing that uh, to be more willing to open up their doors to create these opportunities to provide everyone with a fair shot at employment. I mean, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, if they're like, where can I put them? I mean, where they're hiring for, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter if they're autistic, have IDD or not. Like, if they're suited to the job, they're suited to the job. If they're not, then they're not, right? Right, of course, yeah. But I think it just speaks back to the lack of understanding of, you know, what autism is. You know, especially if we only know it through TV or film or, you know, what we've heard about it without ever actually taking the time to educate ourselves. And the way we think about autism in the workplace isn't going to be accurate. You know, we're not going to have that full understanding of what it actually looks like to have an autistic person in our workplace. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you might not even know. You know what I mean? Like, you really might not even know. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, would you have known I was autistic and, you know, if I had never told you? Yeah, I mean, when we talk about, you know, autism existing, existing across the spectrum yeah. as well to, you know, give everybody uh, an idea of, you know, every person you meet that's autistic, you know, mm -hmm. is going to be unique. They're going to have their own strengths. They're going to have their own challenges. They're going to have their own areas where they need more or sometimes less support. Uh, we can't generalize autism and we especially can't generalize autism in the workplace, yeah. whether that's in terms of how we conduct our interviews, how we do our job postings, our onboarding process, how we react to uh, workplace accommodations. Um, one thing we talk about related to workplace accommodations, you know, if I in the past say I've hired an autistic candidate and it turns out that noise canceling headphones were what they needed to succeed in our workplace. The next time that I hire an autistic candidate, I can't just say, well, here's your noise canceling headphones. Yeah. That person may not need them. You yeah. know? Um, <laughs> but you know, a, a, a lot of people, um, I think sometimes the word accommodation might be scary to some employers. 
What do you think? I, I agree. I think it can put a little bit of, um, I don't want to say fear, but maybe a little bit of hesitation into what is it going to look like. Um, in the training, sometimes I'll share examples of people I've worked with over the years of some pretty simple accommodations that were made to, um, one is of a young woman who was nonverbal. She had lost a couple of jobs because she wouldn't go and ask her manager or boss what she needed to be doing next. Mm -hmm. um, so the, you know, that was a big, big challenge for her. She got a job finally at one place. The manager there had the idea of the visual cue card that she was given and she'd show up to work. She would do her first assigned task. When she was done, she would show him her visual cue card. He would direct her on to her next task. Um, the benefit there is twofold, and I want to stress that. Okay. And that this candidate or this employee, they were given an opportunity to succeed in the workplace, and they did succeed. And the employer, their benefit, they got a successful employee. So it's beneficial to both the autistic individual or the individual with IDD, and that they are able to have a job. You know, they maintain successful, gainful employment. And then the employer, you get an employee. Um, a great employer that's you know dedicated and loyal and going to work hard um, yeah you know um can we talk about the nonverbal thing for a second because uh something i personally whenever i get the opportunity to talk you know um i feel like a lot of people have the assumption that if an autistic person is nonverbal that also means they're not intelligent and I feel like that is so highly incorrect and definitely, in my opinion, a stigma that needs to be shattered. Like, like you're saying, just because somebody is nonverbal or is verbal not a lot doesn't mean that they're not as intelligent as their fully verbal neurotypical employee, right? Or coworker. No, absolutely. I mean, just because, um you know, we communicate differently does not mean that we cannot communicate. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, like the visual cue card as an example, that is a way to get over that communication barrier that allowed that young woman to become a successful employee and allowed that company to have a successful employee. There is the, the idea, the misconception that, you know, people with autism, you know, they aren't smart or they're really smart. Yeah. Um, you know, and that goes back to sort of explaining autism across the spectrum and how there are highly intelligent people that are diagnosed with autism, and there are people who are not as intelligent diagnosed with autism. Because again, it is a spectrum. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and I, I think, in my opinion, as an autistic person, I feel like there are very few uh, true representations of what autism is in the media. Mm -hmm. Like the Big Bang Theory, for example. That, what's his name? Sheldon, right? Yes. Um, that, in my opinion, is not a uh, correct representation of what it means to be autistic. What, I mean, what do, what do you think? No, I, I agree entirely. Um, a big one right now that I'm seeing a lot of people have problems with is The Good Doctor. I haven't seen the show myself, <laughs> okay. but um, some individuals I've worked with and gotten involved with trainings and stuff like that uh, recently have brought that to my attention that it's... Um, Allegedly a pretty poor uh, portrayal of autism. Yeah, I could not even get halfway through the first episode. I was literally like, you know what? No, I'm just, I'm just not going to watch this. But yeah, so I think that's just hammering home why your training can be so vital to people because it's giving them an honest representation of what autism and IDD might look like as opposed to a stereotypical media-fueled representation, right? Yeah, I mean, especially for those who are not, you know, involved in the field or don't have that personal connection who don't know about autism other than what they see in those places. I mean, we can't expect them to, 
not understand autism and then open the doors and successfully hire, successfully recruit, successfully retain autistic employees when they don't know anything about autism. So the point of the training is to educate employers in order to increase employment opportunities for people with autism or IDD. Um, I know at AFO we talk about you know, serving the autistic community across the lifespan. Mm. Ideally, we are going to be adults longer than we are going to be anything else. Um, having a job, having a career, it provides so much to our lives. Yeah. You know, it allows us to have families, it allows us to have a house, a car, to enjoy our hobbies, to take care of ourselves, to provide for others. It gives us a sense of identity for many of us. You know, our career is our life. Um, so when we look at the amount of autistic people who are out there, the amount of people with IDD who are out there, who are trying and trying and trying to find a place where they can succeed, to have that career, to have that job, to get all of these things that everybody else gets to be a part of. Um, it really speaks to the need for the training um, to address some of these, um, these challenges that are specific to the autism community, these challenges that are specific to the individuals with IDD in obtaining employment. Just because we want people with autism, we want people in, with IDD to basically have all of the rights and privileges that everyone else has. Um, and employment opens a lot of doors. Um, like we, you know, we mentioned, you know, being able to take care of ourselves, being able to have the house, being able to enjoy our hobbies, uh, being able to provide and all these things. You know, and also just like a sense of, like you said, identity and, and purpose. You know, I think for everyone, uh, your career can provide that autistic IDD or neurotypical, right? Right, yeah. For so many of us, our career kind of defines a little bit about who we are, you know, especially if it's something we're you know, quite passionate about or quite motivated about. Um, I absolutely agree with that. So, um, and this may not, you know, be, you know, your area of expertise, but I wanted to ask, like, do you have any advice for, like, I know your trainings for employers, but let's talk to autistic and, you know, neurodiverse uh, people searching for a job. Do you have any advice for them on, like, how should they go about the job hunting process? Um, for example, do you think that they should disclose right up front in the first interview that they have IDD or that they have autism? Or is that something that can, you know, not be mentioned right up front? Personally, I won't say one way or another. Okay. Uh, that's a decision that I believe is entirely up to the individual. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we also touch on in our trainings when we talk about self-disclosure. Um, just so employers are aware, that candidate does not have to tell you, yeah. you know, about their autism diagnosis. Um, they don't ever need to tell you. Um, if they do decide to tell you because they need a workplace accommodation, it doesn't matter if they tell you, you know, a week after being hired or if they tell you six months after being hired. It's up to that individual when they wish to disclose um, their autism diagnosis or, you know, whatever their disability may be. And they only have to do so whenever they are requesting that workplace accommodation. Um, I've worked with some people in the past who were very adamant that they did, they did disclose it right away. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with other people who knew that they wouldn't be seriously considered if they were to disclose it right away. Mm -hmm. I think it depends on the situation. I think it depends on the individual. Um, I largely think it's kind of personal preference. So that's why I'm just hesitant to say you should disclose or you shouldn't disclose, yeah. just because there's so many factors to consider. And um, I sort of lean towards that individual knows themselves best on you know what's going to help them succeed the most, whether they disclose right away or not. Um, and so uh, say, for example, I mean, so 
regardless, if you don't mention it up front and then at some point down the line, X amount of time that you've been there, you do mention it, you cannot be retaliated against, right? You can, no, no, yeah. you, are, you are protected um, in that regard. Like I said, you can tell them in the interview, you can tell them once you've started, you know, on your first day there. But if you get there and you don't need an accommodation for four or five, six months down the line, it can be years. Mm -hmm. um, and then one day you realize, hey, I do need an accommodation. I'm going to have to ask for one. That's when you can choose to self-disclose. And your employer can't say, well, you didn't tell us this in your interview. Well, you lied about it. Like, no, they didn't lie about it. They're allowed to disclose at any time the accommodation is needed, and they do not have to disclose before that. Okay, cool. I just, I just really wanted to make that clear for people watching or listening because, um, you know, I think there might be some confusion around that topic just per what I've, you know, had people discuss with me. Yeah, well, and then I want to make sure, you know, we, every employer that takes our training, I want to make sure, you know, we focus on that. You know, like it's up to the individual when they self-disclose and it's not lying to you if they choose not to tell you until that accommodation is needed because legally they do not have to tell you until the accommodation is needed. Okay, yeah. Um, do you have any like other insider advice for neurodiverse people on the job hunt? I'm, I met with a, a mother at a conference um, a few months back and we were sort of talking about some of the challenges uh, that are specific to um, being aut an autistic job seeker. Um, and one of the things we talked about was, you know, how long we go without being employed. In, um, in her case, she mentioned her son um, had been a couple of years without finding a job, though he'd been looking the entire time. Oh, wow, okay. And that creates this, I forget how old she told me he was, but that creates this gap in our work history to where when we finally do get an interview, um, and the first thing they see is, well, this person hasn't worked in two years, or this person's 25 years old and they've never had a job, mm -hmm. or this, you know, this person's 31 and they haven't worked since they were 26. Um, these gaps in our resume, they look bad to an employer, mm -hmm. right? But you know, they can be explained, you know, we've been trying, it's just hard to find a job as an autistic individual or someone with IDD. Um, and this mother, she wanted to know, when is it okay to go and advocate for my son? When is it okay for me to go to interviews with him to show up and fight for him? And I didn't have a good answer for that because you know, again, that creates the problem of this, young person's parent is coming to a job interview with them mm -hmm. or this young person's mom is coming to in the employer's eyes sort of fight their battles for them and that's okay. going to create another barrier so i didn't have a good answer for that um in terms of when is it okay to come up and you know sort of fight on behalf uh of someone else in the in the struggle to get a job yeah um but it was certainly something that kind of made me think like well yeah i mean you know, as a parent, you would get pretty, pretty fed up if, you know, you've seen someone, um, a child, you know, someone you love that's um, being told no time and time and time again. You get to the point where you want to come and fight on their behalf, but you also, the understanding that doesn't look that great in the eyes of an employer. Um, but I'm hoping with the, the training that we do uh, by educating more and more employers throughout the state that we can provide that perspective to employers that they may not have. So when they see those gaps on a person's resume, their first thought probably isn't, you know, maybe this person's lazy or this person didn't want to work for the past few years. It could be an understanding of, you know, maybe they self-disclose in the interview or the application and they say that they're autistic. Mm -hmm. Then they could see this, like, okay, well maybe they've just struggled finding employment. That explains the gaps rather than they simply just didn't want to work.
Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, that's uh, that's right. And now I'm like thinking about that. <laughs> um, is there anything else you think that is pertinent for us to discuss on this topic, or the floor is yours? Um, <laughs> I think we still have a, a lot of work to do. Like I know we've improved a lot, and if you look at you know the history of where autism was, where IDD was, where we've viewed them socially and how they're viewed in the workplace, uh, we've come a long way. But I know that we still have room to improve, um, a lot of room to improve. And hopefully we get to a point where things like the LEAD project, you know, where we get to like things like Microsoft Neurodiversity Hiring Project, things like Ford's FordWorks Neurodiversity Hiring Project, where things like that sort of just become the norm in how businesses operate to where, you know, our doors are open, um, in all efforts of diversity, we are including neurodiversity in that, uh, in our inclusion efforts. Um, to where, essentially, um, well, my training doesn't need to be given anymore. To, yeah. where just, yeah. <laughs> to where we just reached the point where employers understand um, that there is a population of people out there that are very eager to work. Yep. And we can access that talent pool of qualified individuals if we take the time to educate ourselves on what autism looks like and reviewing our own workplace and seeing what areas we can improve in. Because there's always areas we can improve. Of course. We can look at you know, our job postings. What kind of language are we using in those? Um, we've talked a bit, about, a bit about the communication differences between our autistic individuals and people without autism. Um, some of the language we use on job postings is will turn away an otherwise qualified autistic individual. Um, one example we share is like um, excellent computer skills. If you're an individual who takes everything more literally than some, you may see excellent computer skills and you may not gather that they're just asking, can you email, can you work Excel, yeah. are you familiar with Outlook? You might think, is this application asking if I know how to code, if I know how to program? Um, so one thing we talk about with employers is using inclusive language, and that's being specific in what we're asking for. Mm -hmm. So instead of excellent computer skills, we can just say, are you, fam you know, familiar with Excel, Microsoft, whatever the job requires, um, rather than being sort of vague, um, just to attract more autistic candidates to apply to our positions. Um, the interview process itself is a big one. Um, we can make changes to our interview process to make it more accommodating, more accessible, more inviting. Um, things like providing the interview questions beforehand. And I've had some employers tell me, well, we can't do that for our artistic employers and not do it for everyone else. It's like, well, you can do it for everyone else too. Yeah. We can provide the, uh, the questions beforehand. Everyone gets nervous during job interviews. Um, we can use, uh, limit the number of individuals in the room for the interview. Mm -hmm. If it's not required to have five, a panel of five people in there interviewing for whatever the position may be, you know, we don't have to have that many people in there. Yeah, also I feel like that would stress uh, anybody out. <laughs> yeah, it would. Um, uh, allowing different accommodations to be made for phone interviews, um, allowing second chance interviews. And the second chance interviews are something that I think would benefit, obviously, more than just our neurodiverse candidates, but every candidate. You know, sometimes we don't always put our best foot forward in a job interview and we leave thinking, oh, I should have said this, I should have done that. Um, so allowing that second chance interview um, will give every employee another shot to show you why they should come work for your company. Um, um, another thing, in the, sorry, I'm racking my no, brain. You're good. Um, another thing in like job interviews is how we ask questions in interviews. Um, now we understand we are looking to hire an individual, so we are going to have to ask questions. However, we can ask questions one at a time. We can allow the individual time to process what we've asked, allow them time to come up with their, how they're going to respond to us. 
Um, even if it's like questions that we don't always think about, you know, hey, hey, how are you doing? You know, how was the drive? You know, welcome, sit down. So I see on your resume, you went to so-and-so school. How was that? You know, we've just asked four questions in a row mm -hmm. um, in a very quick time frame. So for someone on the autism spectrum, that may, you know, lead to a bit of a sensory overload when we're getting bombarded with questions back to back like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So just taking the time to, you know, break down our questions if necessary to allow the individual time to think of their response and to reply to us. Um, that it sort of eases the challenge of an interview right there. Yeah, also eye contact. Like, you know, I, I feel like, you know, at least from my uh, obsessive uh, learning how to try and be normal, I feel like a lot of people think if you're not looking me directly in the face, especially when you're talking, then that like sends like a subtextual message. And it's like, you know, if somebody's not looking at you directly while they're speaking to you, it may simply just be because they can process better when they're looking away from you. It doesn't mean that they're not confident or they're not secure, right? Like Yeah, absolutely. So if we look at, like eye contact is a big one and it comes up frequently. Um, if we look at eye contact from like a business perspective, like in the workplace, eye contact shows that I'm listening to you that I respect you, I value what you're saying right now, you've gotten my full attention. Um, so for someone with autism, an individual who, it might be deeply uncomfortable to maintain eye contact, like you mentioned, they may process better when they aren't having to maintain eye contact. If we educate ourselves on things like that, when we do hire someone with autism and they are avoiding eye contact or they don't look us in the eye, we don't immediately think, oh, this individual's disrespecting me exactly this person is not paying attention to me this person is trying to deceive me in one way or another um, we can understand you know this person's autistic uh, yeah. this eye contact is uncomfortable for them mm -hmm. i understand they're listening they're just not looking me in the eye right now um and that's sort of also about you know um some of the hypersensitivities that um people on the autism spectrum experience um related to like light or noise light's one that kind of comes up a lot in the workplace most workplaces have those yeah. fluorescent lights yep. um so just being mindful of our environment um, when we're trying to communicate in the workplace with someone on the autism spectrum and how those sensory issues may be affecting their ability to communicate with us at that time. Yeah. Um, but so overall, the benefits are endless and they're also needed, right? I think like there's no reason any workplace shouldn't be open to having a diverse staff, right? No, I mean, I, I, the benefits, you know, we've talked about quite a few of them, but also like, I think one of the largest benefits is that neurodiversity fosters new thought, new approaches, new creative solutions to the way we conduct our business. Um, if I've got 10 employees and they're all exactly like me, we're not gonna think too differently. True. Um, so having that outside perspective, um, that perspective that is unique to being neurodiverse into our workplace, it opens up a lot of doors that we ourselves may not even be able to think about. Um, no, that's a great one. That's a great one. Also, I wanted to point out, um, let me, I got to find it. So um, they did a study um, and contrary to the bystander effect where individuals are less likely to intervene in adverse situations when others are present, it shows that those with autism typically do not conform to this norm. And so in the workplace, they're more prone to act in the face of wrongdoing, indicating potential benefits organizations could derive from hiring more diverse um, 
neurodivergent candidates, um, which I thought was really interesting. And I've talked to some of my autistic friends about this. And I think that that can also be something like you just said, if you have 10 employees and they're all the same, then you're not really going to get much done. And same goes, I feel like in a environment where there's a big staff, like if you don't have anybody that's different from you and something is going on and none of those people are willing to like, just call it out for what it is, you know, having an autistic person or two, you know, in a According to the study, you know, they're going to be the ones that are be like, actually, you know, let's talk about this. Um, so I thought that was interesting. That is really cool. Um, yeah, that's a, a benefit of, you know, including or uh, opening up our doors to autistic candidates that, you know, I haven't thought of. But that's uh, that's really cool to know. Yeah, um, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, before we close it out, I mean, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about? Uh, just a, a final thought, uh, just because it's something that's um, come up before when meeting, you know, with employers and like pitching the training and stuff is, you know, I want to be super clear that, you know, and I know we've touched about it, touched on it a little bit, but uh, every person with autism is unique. Mm -hmm. So for the employers who in the past, maybe they've reached out and they've hired an autistic person and for whatever reason, it didn't work out. So now they use that as the excuse of, well, we've tried before and it didn't work. So we know we're not going to hire an autistic person again. Um, that's ridiculous. That's one person you've hired where it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. So if you have a job opening and you hired a guy named Kyle and it didn't work. Yeah. And then so now I apply and you say, no, we've hired a guy named Kyle before. It didn't work. Yeah, it's not going to yeah, work. Yeah. Sort of the same thing. So um, keeping in mind that people with autism are just as unique as every other individual, their strengths, their skills, their challenges, their perspectives, the value that they bring to a workplace. Um, so for the companies who are considering, you know, um, well, we've tried it before and it didn't work. Oh, you, you tried it with one individual. Um, so just keep that in mind when considering, you know, our neurodiversity initiatives and our efforts to be more inclusive moving forward. Cool. Awesome. Kyle, I, I always love seeing you, talking to you. Um, I will put all of the information for his project in the description to this episode. If you live in Oklahoma and you would like to inquire about how you can take this training, please reach out to him. And then, oh, also one more. We also have the Autism Friendly Business Certification. Yes. You want to touch on that real quick, too? Of course. Um, so our Autism Friendly Business Certification. Um, if the lead training project, you know, that is more designed to increase employment opportunities, uh, training that's offered directly to businesses to, um, excuse me, to increase those opportunities, the autism friendly business training is designed for our front facing, um, sort of operations, our dentist, our barber shops, hair salons, our tattoo parlors, places that are going to be in direct face to face consumer contact with the public, mm -hmm. um, and how we can create a more autistic friendly work or excuse me not workplace yeah. autistic friendly <laughs> business environment mm -hmm. okay cool um yeah and that also is free still right yes okay great seriously that's a great one um if you are a business located in oklahoma and you want to let the public know that you are an autism friendly place please reach out to us about that as well because that is another great opportunity that we have for you and besides that that's all I got. So thank you so much for coming out and being on this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right, great. I'll see y'all next time. Thank you. 
Thank you again for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I'm your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. Thank you again to the Oklahoma State Department of Health. And for any information on our trainings or our events, please visit www.autismfoundationok.org or follow us on social media platforms at Autism Foundation OK. As always, thank you so much and we'll see you next time.